Hey everyone, Dashian Miller here with James in the background, hiding like the ninja he is. We're here with episode 106 of Kuden. So a uh, whole new week, whole new uh, whole new topic. They're all related, right? Anyway, uh, I have a question before we officially get this thing started, right? Um, have you ever noticed that uh, most people spend more time trying on a pair of pants in a store to make sure they fit than they do looking for a religion or a spiritual path or, I don't know, a martial arts teacher. Just a thought. We'll talk more about that when I get back. Talk to you soon. So, the big question is this. How are self-defense and success-minded people like us, concerned citizens worried about protecting ourselves, our loved ones, and the things we care about from the monsters we know exist in the world? How do we train in a way that gives us the skills, knowledge, and understanding we need without becoming paranoid fighters or killers ourselves, and yet still allows us to be the hero protector the world needs us to be? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Jeffrey Miller, and welcome to Kuden Radio, real training for real people in a real world. And that's the real truth. Anyway, all right, hey, uh, that's Jan Miller here, and uh, like I said, welcome to Kuden. If you're just joining in. Uh, this is episode 106, uh, so uh, well on our way to, uh, I don't know, what, 200 episodes. We should be there by the end of the year, right? I don't know. We'll throw in a couple extras. We'll see what happens. <laughs> anyway, uh, just uh, graduated a couple of folks uh, this past Saturday uh, from our uh, first phase of instructor training, so Got some uh, new uh, instructor trainees running around doing things, helping out with classes and whatnot. Uh, James is one of those. So, yay, James. Woohoo. Right. James taught before. James taught in a, uh, in a different school, different martial arts style. Um, hey, James, fire up your, uh, your picture there. You know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to put you on the spot anyway. Now that we know your mic works. He'll fake that it isn't. He'll just like start moving his lips and nothing will happen. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, what did you learn? Um, cause you know, most, most people, uh, I, I've always thought this was funny and, and some of my martial arts instructors were the same. Um, uh, kind of goes along with the trying on the pants thing that I said before I started this thing. Um, there's this huge assumption, right? Uh, in the martial arts that, uh, because you can do something, Right. Because you have this black belt or whatever that you're automatically qualified to teach. Right. Did you, did you notice that coming up? Right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't buy that at all, because just like there's a huge difference between someone who can operate a motor vehicle and someone who's a good driver. Right. Huge difference. Right. <laughs> there's a difference between being I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be generous. Right. There's a huge difference between somebody being an expert at something or knowing how to do something themselves and that person being a good teacher, right? Um, would you agree? Yes. Yeah. So um, what's one of the big differences between what was expected of you or what you did before, or what kind of training you had before or whatever, when you were in that other style, other school? And because um, you've been through the instructor training program, what, twice, three times? Twice? Twice. Twice. Okay. Not counting the online version, right? Right. Cause I think you did that as well. So that, that makes three, that makes three, three. right? So anyway, um, uh, what are, what are some of the big differences between what you did before and, and now? 
or what what I made you go through. <laughs> and I'm going to say that too because I make people do things. Right? <laughs> I'm not the I'm not the uh, well you can if you want to kind of thing. Uh, Previously, there was no uh, there was no training for instructors. There was um, you know you can just go teach now. You've reached a certain level. And that's just the next part of uh, your training. And it was just kind of expected to uh, alleviate some of the classes or just teaching because sometimes the main teacher uh, just didn't feel like teaching that night. So uh, you go ahead and you take care of it because, you know, you know what you're doing. And that's it. You're basically you're just left to your own devices or just to mimic what you've done for however long you've been doing it. There was no nothing like what uh i've been through now three times as you said uh with you or there's nothing even related really in what you experienced between the classes between what i went through before as a student i mean teaching wise it was just you know this is the information just like a monkey see monkey do kind of thing <clears throat> the, as uh, monkeys demonstrate yes you know just you watch and then mimic that basically and uh, that's pretty much the extent of teaching the, even what i did before because that's just basically what how i was taught and how all the students were taught this is what we do you know this is there wasn't really any kind of why behind anything literally what we're doing or why we're doing it it's just this is what we do you do this put your hand here foot here yeah, yeah. yeah. did you ever feel um like you were missing out on your own training because you were asked to teach too often or anything. We, we covered that as a part of the, uh, a part of our program, right? Most people assume sure. that, um, a martial arts, since a sort of, you know, instructor certification program should, um, I don't know. I think most people are surprised that I'm not teaching you any, any like martial arts moves, you yeah. know, like teach this skill or teach this lesson this way. Um, you, you've been in class. How many different ways did you experience me teaching it already? Right. Um, right. I'm covering all the things that make somebody a good communicator. Right. Um, right. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we covered was uh, why students quit. Right. Which I don't think anybody gives any thought to other than, well, they're just not committed enough. Right. I mean, you know, if they were committed like me. Right. They they wouldn't mm -hmm. quit. Uh, bullshit. Right. Because the problem, the. One of the premises at the very beginning of the program is every class that you teach, students are either one step closer to black belt or the next level black belt or whatever, or what? One step, one closer, step to closer to the door. the door. Yeah. So when you were in that other, when you were teaching out of that other uh, school or program or whatever, did you have any instructors that, uh, or black belts or, or anything like that, that, um, that did quit or that at least voiced their, um, their, uh, what's a good word for it? Their irritation that they felt like their own training was getting cut into or whatever because they weren't, they weren't on the student end uh, as much anymore. Um, I know one that he had, he did that for a while, but uh, he had left and he went elsewhere because he, Felt like you couldn't advance anymore uh, there at that school. Kind yeah, that's what I mean. He eventually, yeah. I heard he eventually came back and basically took over. 
the school. But uh, he also, in my opinion, is one of the ones that uh, he wanted to, to teach. Like he wanted to be the man, so to speak, that, you know, did the classes and everything. He wanted that title of instructor, teacher, uh, you know, whatever kind of thing. But, sure. Uh, that wasn't, I mean, the ones I was in wasn't wasn't real big and it wasn't anything. None of the ones I was in was like a full-time thing for any of them. So, uh, but he was the only one, but I mean, there were some of the, of the higher belts that got wrapped into teaching or helping that, you know, felt that at some times, especially later on, shortly before I was out of there, it became more and more of a thing where we were handling more and more classes. And there was only like, usually like two classes a week and there was nothing extra. So our classes became, you know, we were teaching, but we didn't get our own kind of classes unless we just did something among ourselves, usually like after class or before, mm. usually it was after or on another night or something. But Was this one of those programs also where everybody showed up at the same time and um, trained in the same class, regardless of belt level? Yeah, there was a kid. There was a separate class for kids that was first, and then there was the adult class. But yes, it was complete all ranks. Okay. I mean, I, I get that structure. I mean, if, if people go to Japan, um, regardless of which Daishihan or now Soke or, you know, years ago when they went to Soke's class, everybody was that way. I always call that seminar style, where regardless of rank mm -hmm. or whatever, uh, you're showing up in class and you're working on whatever they're working on. But it was very, very clear. Uh, it wasn't until the last uh, year or three, maybe, where they created Daishihan classes where unless you were a Daishihan, you couldn't go to class, right? You couldn't, mm. you couldn't just walk into that class, right? Um, prior to that, it was, it was stated regularly whether people listened, understood the, the gravity of, of the statement or uh, took it to heart or whatever, it was regularly stated that, you know, uh, in these classes, we're teaching to the 10th ons and above, we're teaching to the 15th ons, whatever. So uh, if you don't understand, then find a Shidoshi or a Shihan that can get you to this level, um, whether that was happening or not, on either end, right? Students seeking out or Shidoshi or Shihan teaching anything other than what was being taught that year or that past trip or whatever. Um, I don't know, but anyway, so, um, so anyway, um, I'm not sure if this, this is going to come out or come be a part of, uh, of spring camp or not, because we're doing a lot with psychology, right? And, um, uh, you, you had mentioned something early on about, um, the guy coming back to that one class because he needed to be the man, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, ever since, oh man, ever since just before I changed the name uh, from Miller's Martial Arts and the, the uber cool, right, Bujinkan Kudu Dojo, right, to Warrior Concepts, uh, based on studies and research and stuff that I was doing with students and, and whatnot, um, you know, we learned very early on that people had um, a warrior, what I call, sometimes call a warrior concept complex, sometimes a superhero complex or whatever, where um, they wanted to be a protector, right? They wanted to be the guy or the girl. But 
they wanted to be that in the context of a situation where they could help be part of the solution, not just a part of the landscape or whatever, mm -hmm. right? They wanted to be the person that could be the go-to person that if somebody needed help or, you know, whatever, whether it's instructing or whatever, that's that people could go to, as opposed to needing to be the person who was in charge no matter what was going on, right? Um, as a matter of fact, one of my newest guys, he's, he was in the instructor training program as well. He admitted to that and almost felt maybe a little bit embarrassed that maybe it was a bad thing or maybe that made him a sociopath or whatever. But um, there's a huge difference between somebody from an egocentric standpoint needing to be the center of attention um, or, you know, all eyes on me kind of thing. And knowing that you're kind of, it's kind of a crapshoot in any given situation or environment or group that you're in uh, as to whether or not there's going to be somebody there that knows what the hell they're talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. As opposed to just a bunch of ideas being thrown around. So uh, the, the, the guy or girl that we're looking at or talking about is the one that just goes out of their way to get as much training and as much knowledge as possible so that the chances of running into something that you, you don't know, right. Um, it, is, it gets slimmer and slimmer. But at the same time, um, I think, I, I'm not sure if this was an instructor, maybe you, you'll have to let me know if this was an instructor training class or if it was our Shinobi Kai class or whatever, when I mentioned kind of along the same lines where, um, you know, for me personally, um, I had that same thing, right, where I want to be the go-to guy, right? I mean, if I, mm. as far as, knowing how to make sure that people can be safe and knowing, you know, how to help and whatnot. But at the same time, for my own growth, um, I seek groups where I'm going to be the lowest common denominator. And I almost feel like I'm thankful that they let me in, <laughs> right? Let me <laughs> hang around a little bit because the only way to grow to the next level is to be around people that are freaking leaps and bounds above you, right? I mean, if you're always the, the guy or the girl in the room, how the hell do you grow from there? Right. Um, right. As a, I don't remember if that was, if that was an instructor training or not, but we covered like why students stay, why students quit, right. Uh, qualities of black belt excellence. And I don't mean like the mm -hmm. traits that people normally bandy around because everybody was thinking about that, right. They were thinking about confidence and commitment and discipline and integrity. And, and those are all good. Right. But we were talking about things that were more ninja-like than anything else, right? I mean, you know, uh, what was number five on that list? Uh, when given lemons, make lemonade, right? Um, don't whine like a little baby, uh, you know what I mean, or wish for something else. This is what you have. But that's the reality of a self-defense situation, too. You know, I could wish that I had, you know, uh, Schwarzenegger next to, next to me. I could wish that I had whatever, but I don't. This is what I have. To work with. Uh, and I was taught that a long, long time ago um, by uh, one or, well, Hatsby said they talked about it from one perspective, and Stephen Hayes talked about it from another, and Shoshi Malmstrom was, was in there or whatever. But, you know, we're talking about the 80s and stuff. So um, MacGyver as a TV show was really popular, right? There was this huge surge of like James Bond movies and things like that. So they borrowed from these these um uh 
what you call them, archetypes, right? Um, but the whole idea was, you know, we borrow these characters that point to this idea that, you know, while we made jokes, right, well, like with MacGyver, right, give him a hammer, an egg, and some duct tape, and he'll make an airplane or a submarine, right? It was always a joke, but the whole idea was this is what you have. What can you make? What can you create from what you have? Instead of bitching and moaning and wishing that you had something that you don't at the moment, or instead of waiting until something better comes along, right? Um, but it's still, it's still that same solution-oriented kind of thing that, you know, whether we're talking about self-defense or we're talking about getting training, right? How do I, how do I work with what I have, right? So, um, but anyway, um, so congratulations on that part, right? Obviously, there's there's next steps for everybody. Um, right. So uh, anyway, so but that's that's a good segue right there to um, teachers, right? And uh, why I chose the teachers that I did, right? Of course, I've trained with lots of, of teachers, right? Within the Bujinkan, I think I've trained with well, at least coming up, and because there were a lot of new faces. Uh, coming along that came to a certain level and then Hatsumi Sensei let them teach classes and whatnot. So I can't say that I trained with everyone. I can't say that I trained with or trained in like a class that they were teaching, um, including some of the ones that became Soke. Right. Um, but uh, there were lots, right. That, that I trained with, but there were certain ones that I gravitated to that when I went to Japan or here in the States or whatever, um, I absolutely had to train with those instructors, right? Um, like to Japan, every trip I had to train with certain instructors, right? And so uh, it wasn't just a crapshoot. There was a very specific uh, idea behind that, right? Um, for the longest time coming up through, probably in the, in the late 80s and, and into the 90s, maybe into the 2000s, um, yeah, maybe, early 2000s, maybe. At a certain point, Hatsumi said they stopped doing this thing, right? Um, where uh, when we did like Taikai and Daikomyosai seminars, right? People would fly in from all over the place, right? Go to this training. And as a part of it, there would always be uh, a go-down test, right? Um, some of us used to call it the go-down test because people's attitude shifted in their, the, the level and amount of training they did after they made their fifth on just tanked right because you know they they had this they, they made this this level right and all rank after that was subjective and all kinds of crap but anyway um at, at these seminars there would be usually it was i think it was usually like saturday night right where um after training uh there would be this test right and um people would sit for the godon test and those who passed First thing the next morning, Sunday morning's training would start off with Hatsumi Sensei calling everybody up, right? Getting everybody to applaud. Yay, look at the monkeys who passed the test. Uh, that's not what he said, right? <laughs> Just, you know, look, here, here's whatever, right? And then what he would do is have everybody come out one at a time, right? Each of these people, the new Godons, right? The new Shidoshi, come out and demonstrate something, right? Could have been something from the weekend, could have been whatever, right? Depending on the seminar. And then after everyone had gone through and were you know, still lined up, I mean, this happened to me as well, still lined up, right? And he would say, 
there you go. All the stars in the sky, right? Who will you choose to navigate by or who you cha- uh, choose to help guide you or whatever, right? And uh, it, it was this, you know, he put on this, not a spectacle, but, you know, the point was part of your training should be in discerning, right? Um, who can serve you? Whatever. And, uh, you know, that statement I made before I ran the, the titles or the, the, the uh, intro, uh, I always found it. Now, I, I started looking at this before I got involved in training, but the martial arts, especially this martial art, has really allowed me to look at other things in the world and kind of gauge them, right? Learning this, learning that. Um, did you have a cat? That's pretty funny. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> my dog ran off. So, because he was laying here snoring for just <laughs> for a little bit. Anyway, all right. So, back on track. Back on track. All right. So, get the people on Apple um, Apple Podcasts or whatever and now wondering what the hell are you talking about. I didn't, you know, <laughs> they were adjusting their 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 volume and their sound on their on their device. Anyway, all right. So, uh, <laughs> um. Uh, where the hell was I? Um, the people, uh, what I was noticing that was that people spent more time trying on shoes, pants, cl- whatever, right? Um, to make sure they fit than they spent in, uh, you know, uh, finding a religion or finding a spiritual path or what we're talking about tonight with this topic is in finding a teacher that, uh, you know, could guide their training. Right. Um, what I found is that most people, uh, and this is actually a study that was done, right. This is actually a study that was done. Um, I think in the nineties, right. Um, I'm a big fan of studies and stuff because there, there are surveys that are given out to, you know, all these different martial arts students, martial arts schools, right. Um, what was the number one reason that adult students uh, quit, right, within the first 100 days? Um, no realistic self-defense training, right, um, based on what they knew of from violent things, right? So um, regardless of whether Sanshin was historically appropriate, um, you know, from 15th century, 16th century Japan, right, um, most adults are joining martial arts because they're worried about somebody jumping on them and choking the life out of them or jabs and right crosses and uppercuts and knives and stuff like that, right? So, um, but anyway, uh, one of the one of the things was um, that the average student, the average martial arts student, was not willing to travel more than 12 and a half minutes to a school for classes, right? And that usually comes from the, from the idea that mo- most people think that all martial arts are the same. Right. They get the idea that there's different styles, but at, at their core, people get it that, you know, there's only so many ways to skin a cat, so to speak. Right. Not yours, but um, there's only so many ways to to do things. Right. So they're not really system uh, dependent or uh, they don't have these preferences in that direction. Right. They're just. You know, they, they, they want to learn things, right? But if what they're seeing early on in their training doesn't match their experience of life, oh, shit, they're out of there, right? Um, 
and then all these other things, you know, start to happen, right? So, uh, but therein lies a problem, right? Most people choose their martial arts instructor not based on any kind of credentials or any kind of uh, anything, right? Other than close to the house or close to work, right? Or my kid's already going to ballet over here. So while they're in that class, right? So some kind of scheduling matchup or proximity or whatever, right? And then what's, what's even funnier or more ironic, I guess, is that ego will latch on to this thing and go, well, this is the best, right? Um, but what it's really doing is, is acknowledging that this has to be the best because I chose it and it has to work. Right. It, it absolutely has to work because ego can't be wrong. Right. If ego were wrong, um, then you couldn't trust your decisions and, and whatnot. So, I mean, ego is part of your own self-defense mechanism. Right. To keep yourself sane and <laughs> whatever. Right. Uh, and sane and safe and, and those kind of things. But um, we'll jump through some of these these teachers that I chose and, and just kind of toss out some ideas. And hopefully there'll be this will be a value to folks, but I definitely want to talk about some of these some of these problem areas, right? Um, to give folks some things to think about. Um, I'm not going to tell anybody who they should be training with, right? This is not about me. This is not about um, you know getting people to train with me. You know those sales tactics. You, James used to be in sales, right? So you know the sales tactics. You get these books or programs or whatever, and you ask a whole bunch of questions that get the person to say yes. So they're less likely to say no when you get to the sale part or what this, mm -hmm. this is not about that, right? This is about critical thinking. This is about making sure that we're not making decisions based on easy. We're making decisions based on need, based on, uh, you know, what's going to provide us the greatest value, right? And the, this process, like every other process in our martial arts training, should be about meeting and overcoming challenges. It should be about um, overcoming adversity. It should be about doing what needs to be done as opposed to what's easy and comfortable, right? Because, um, again, we're, we're <laughs> I have to get some other things off my plate, but I'm going to be designing some new T-shirts, right? One of those T-shirts uh, uh, across the front is going to say, hi, I'm a really nice person learning to be cruel, vicious, mean, and nasty. On the back, it's going to have that, uh, everybody's seen it, right, that that ninja that's kneeling, drawing a sword from behind, right? And uh, there'll just be a sentence that says, can I practice on you, right? That'll be really cool, right? Another T-shirt is just a one-liner across the front that's just simply going to say, nobody ever said you had to like it, right? Because, um, you know, somebody jumping you and trying to erase your life. Uh, if you like that, um, I would highly recommend serious psychological counseling. But, hey, that's just me, right? Um, but anyway, uh, so when I first started, um, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase some of the things. Some of you guys have heard this stuff before, whatever. So I'm not going to beat it to death. But um, when I first started in this art, I wasn't looking for this art, right? I wasn't looking for anything. I was this beaten, abused, kid, turned adult, turned cop, turned whatever, right? And had this need for uh, training and, and that kind of thing, right? So I didn't care what the freaking name was, right? I, as a matter of fact, I spent a long time 
researching different systems to see if I could find something that one matched what my experience of of danger in the world was and had answers to that because I think people need to, to need to recognize that martial arts training like any product you could buy right is the answer to a problem it's the solution to a problem or it's the answer to a question or whatever right um you know just like when we're looking for a boyfriend girlfriend wife husband whatever right um it's the solution to loneliness it's the solution to um the need for intimacy all those kind of things right friendship same thing right um but if we could see that it's the you know it's the answer to right just like our kata just like our skills instead of learning them like they're just these things that are on a syllabus that we have to learn each of these things to get to be able to be allowed to test for a belt or whatever, right? What if belt testing didn't exist, right? What if there were no awards or rewards or whatever, right? Um, would we still be doing the list the same way, right? But if we could see kata or skill sets or whatever, right, regardless of whether it's rolling or seon or kasahasagi uh, or whatever, right? If we could see these things as potential answers to very specific problems, everything would change, right? Because then it wouldn't matter if we fucking, excuse my language, if we liked rolling or not. It wouldn't matter if we liked breakfalls or not. It wouldn't matter if we liked stretching or not. It, would, it wouldn't matter, right? Because if we need this answer, if we need this tool, and it's not my damn toolbox, and it's not well-kept, and it's not uh, what it's supposed to be, then I die, right? Or I get beaten, broken, maimed, whatever, right? So that's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different perspective than just, well, I'm signing up for this stuff and I have to learn these things so I can test for this colored belt and whatever. Does that make sense? Do you mm -hmm. get that? You know? So um, I, had a, I had a serious need, right? My need was uh, coming out of you know, a violent uh, home life and, uh, now I'm a cop because I'm, I, I made a vow to myself that I was going to do things in the world to protect other people from that same kind of thing, right? So I have very specific needs. I have very specific tools that I need, right? That I have to find, right? And I have to be very, very particular about who I'm going to get those things from, right? Now I get it because I, like everybody else in the beginning, how do you know? Right. Well, when they start teaching and they start talking and they start answering questions, you'll know. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I went through all these different martial arts and most of you guys know this stuff. I went through these different martial arts and, you know, that it, it, it kept the same kind of things kind of kept happening. Right. Now, I was also looking to not become this this fighter, this violent uh, you know, killer or whatever, right? I wanted there to be some balance. One of the things that kind of tapered or tempered the, um, the, the fighting things or the aggression and all that was, um, at the same time, right? While I was growing up, um, I was influenced by this martial arts, uh, TV show that came out, right? Um, Kung Fu, right? So here's this guy who has all these skills, 
but he's choosing peace and there's this whole spiritual side and whatever. So that highly influenced this, you know, kid, right. Who was looking for this stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I went on this search to try to find these things. Did they all have effective techniques? Yes, but I'm a cop. So while the techniques are effective, shit, are they going to be legal Right. For me to apply on the street without me finding my ass in a sling. Right. Because that's a whole other need. That's a whole other criteria. Right. Uh, I had a student once that was just freaking adamant. Right. I'm, you know, kill somebody. Right. They come at my wife. They come at my family. Blah, blah, blah. Right. You've heard them. Right. These cliches. Right. I'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by six. Yeah, me too. But only slightly more. Right. <laughs> because. If you understand trial science, if you understand the psychology of what's going to be going on, if you understand that you're going to be in the poorhouse because of all the money you're going to need to spend on your legal defense and all that, then you better learn how to make sure that you can defend yourself, not only from the guy who's trying to kill you, but also the legal system that's supposed to protect you, because it's not as easy as it sounds, right? So it's easy to throw around cliches, but how do I do that? And then as a police officer, undercover investigator, all this, seeing both sides of the table, right? Now, shit, how do I, how do I protect myself? But anyway, I had this student that used to throw this stuff around and um, uh, never gave any thought to how are you going to protect them if you're in the morgue, in the ground, in the ER, uh, in ICU, right, in jail, you know, how are you going to keep your family safe? So you did it once. Now who's going to protect them when you're not around if shit failed at some point in the paradigm, right? So these were all concerns for me, right? Which, you know, like reading a magazine one day, I'm stationed with the military, right? Reading this magazine, see this thing that I later find is an excerpt from a book from, you know, this guy. And um, two, three paragraphs in, I'm like, holy shit, this is what I'm looking for. Now, of course, it was a big 30,000 foot, you know, view of, of things, not details. But here's this thing. And, wow, holy shit. Right. It was enough for me to go and do more than just look at another martial art. Do you know what I mean? Like, I need to know more about this. Right. It wasn't like, oh, those are cool techniques. I can add that. And that that, that was my that was my approach. Right. I, I would extrapolate whatever I could. And maybe some of you guys can can relate to this. Right. I would extrapolate whatever I could from anything that I ran into because it made sense. Right. But there were always huge parts of each system that didn't make sense or wouldn't work or wasn't applicable to to the needs that I had, right? So I had to like pick and choose and, and anyway. So, uh, so here's this thing by Stephen Hayes, right? At that point, um, I didn't know anything about Hatsumi Sensei because I just read this excerpt, right? But at that moment, and maybe this is just me, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not singing to the choir, but at that moment, I decided not only that I was going to do this martial art, but I was going to train with that guy. Now, that being said, I have to admit, full transparency, there were only three people in the world 
<laughs> that I could have trained with, right? There was there was him, right? Um, and there was uh, let's see, I think by the time I bumped into this, maybe there were four. So it was him. There was, and there were two of his students, right? So he is in this little dinky burg just outside of Dayton, Ohio, right? Called Germantown, Ohio, right? I think they had a they had a population of like 1,500 people, right? Um, and they had 15 churches, so um, it was it was just like farmland all around, right? So, and then one of the students was in this suburb of Atlanta. And one was all the way out in Stockton, California, right? So, um, you know, okay. So I got the Midwest, I got the East Coast, and I got the West Coast. Except I'm stationed with the United States Army in South Korea. So, technically, one of the guys was closer, but either way, I was going to have to go find it, right? Um I think that everybody today has the has a harder time finding a good teacher, not just a teacher, but a good teacher, because there are lots of teachers, right? I mean, in, from from a business standpoint, I would say that the market is saturated, right? So it's become more of a um, what do you call it, a uh, commodity, right? So uh, and but it becomes even more important that people have certain criteria that they're that they're running, right? Um, but anyway, so, uh, but I decided that I was training with him, which meant flying halfway around the world, right. With whatever time I could get off, right. To train with this guy. Now, again, first reading this article and whatnot, you know, I'm, you know, I don't know anything about how to me since because of the, the structure of the article, right. Um, it wasn't until later that I learned about Hatsumi Sensei in Japan, but then I had my own baggage that I had to get over because part of that was, ah, this guy would never like, you know, train me or it's too difficult. There were all kinds of reasons that I gave for not being able to get there, even though from South Korea to fucking Tokyo was like just this little hop, you know, it was, it was way easier um, and there's military things in both places. So I could have done space available, uh, which is this cool little benefit that military uh, folks have uh, to fly on uh, Air Force uh, transports and whatnot. And so but there was all this extra baggage about me and how I perceived me. Right. But there was something about me that was like, look, yeah, if I'm going to get this, I'm going to get it from the best option I have. Right. Now, luckily, I only had a couple of options, but um, so I have to wade through everybody and their brother who knew things at whatever degree. Right. And we're also bitching and complaining at everybody else. Right. So uh, but at the same time, uh, on the installation, on the on the uh, army post that I was stationed on, there was a Taekwondo club and there was a Kung Fu club. And I didn't have 12 and a half minute trip to get to the class. It was right there. Why bother? Because it wasn't what I was looking for. Right. So anyway. So why? Right. So initially, my initial why for Stephen Hayes was he's the top guy. 
in the Western world, or at least from my connection, right, doing this thing. And if I'm going to train with people, I'm going to train with the best that I can connect with, right? Um, I've always been a I've always been a pragmatic and features kind of individual, right? I don't need bragging rights. This had nothing to do with bragging rights. This had to do with this guy, closest connection to the source that I can relate to because I was worried about not being able to speak the Japanese language and all that kind of stuff and wasting time, effort, money, and whatnot, right? But um, it was it was always I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get the best that I can get based on the conditions that I have, right? So um, since he had all the books out and he had direct connection to things and and whatnot, at least in the beginning, right? That's my option, right? So um, why would I not, right? So from South Korea, from uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, Fayetteville, North Carolina, to Ohio, from being stationed in West Germany to Dayton, Ohio, right? Uh, but he also did seminars, right? So uh, I made friends with some folks in Liverpool, uh, England, because when I was in Europe, right? So when he was there, then me and a friend, right? This guy was in the Air Force. He was an interpreter. Uh, I was a military policeman. He was actually farther south than I was. Uh, but he would drive up every once in a while, like once a month, and we would train together and stuff. But when Stephen Hayes was in uh, Liverpool, England, he would drive up from where he was stationed, probably an hour and a half from me, pick me up. We would drive all the way through uh, Germany into the Netherlands to a place called Ostend, Belgium, which is on the uh, English Channel. And we would pay for a, uh, a ferry to go across the English Channel to Dover, England. <coughs> and yes, the, the the song is right. There are white cliffs of Dover. But anyway, we would go there and then drive all night long from Dover to Liverpool to do a weekend seminar. Hop in the car at the end of the seminar, drive all the way back, ferry across, you know, all that stuff, right? So, um, why bother? Because at that time, there were no videos. There was no damn internet, right? There were books. I know, I'm old, right? There were magazine articles. There were, there, we had no choice, right? And maybe that was the benefit, right? Because I think the more choices people have, the more they look for easy, right? When you don't have any choices, you only have, the only choice you have is, do I do it or do I not? Right? So that's it. Right? Um, but anyway, so uh, here was this connection, right? He was my connection to Japan. He, uh, I met Hatsumi Sensei um, the first time in 1986. So I'd been training since late 80, early 81, but met Hatsumi Sensei for the first time in 86 because some Japanese television show or television news agency, I think, um, was doing an expose on Nijutsu in America because, you know, it had lasted that long, right? So here we were in 86 and um, flew Hatsumi Sensei to the States. And so um, he did some training with, hmm, I think, the LAPD, Los Angeles Police Department, at their training academy 
um, there. And then they were flown, he was flown to um, Dayton to do this extra training, right? So I was there for a week of training with, uh, with Stephen Hayes uh, during one of these uh, Ninja Quest kind of things that he had, which were like week-long training things, right? Which means I had to eat up at least a week of my leave time, right? That I could have done things with family or whatever, right? Um, that was extra time, extra money because we didn't, there, there weren't camps at the, at the time, right? I had to pay for hotel, had to pay for transportation, all that kind of stuff, right? Food the entire time um, on a low ranking army <laughs> paycheck, right? Often I had to get loans because I, I had to make sure family was taken care of. So I would get loans and then have uh, pay payroll withdrawal to pay the loans back over time. Uh, over a couple of months, and then I take out another one to do the next freaking seminar and stuff. So I figured it out, right? So, I, I mean, I understand when people come at me and they go, uh, you know, I don't make enough money. Uh, I got family. I, I get it. I freaking get it, right? Um, but that didn't, it didn't stop me because it was more important to have this so that my family was safe, so that um, I would have the skills and lessons and all that to be more successful and to make better choices and to live and think like a warrior, a ninja, all these things that I wanted, um, it just uh, it just took more negotiating and more planning and and whatever, right? So, but anyway, um, uh, so the training went on for a while, and then uh, through all that, right, I met um, uh, another teacher, right? So I met Hatsumi Sensei. I take that back. Let me back up, right? So. Uh, I was at, at, at the, you know, at this, uh, Ninja Quest, Warrior Quest, uh, seminar for a week, right? Just fucking exhausted, right? And then, uh, the night before, or the evening before the last day of training, um, they gather us all around. They go, hey, um, you know, I know that in our description of the seminar, it said we were doing this, we're doing this, and tomorrow we were supposed to do XYZ. Right. Um, but um, Hatsumi Sensei will be here. So hopefully everybody's OK with a change in the training. But he's going to be here with two of the master teachers from Japan. Um, sorry if we disappointed and, you know, it's not really false advertising, but, uh, you know, we were just surprised everybody else. Right. So um, that was my first meeting. Right. As a matter of fact, I have a picture somewhere of. Um, uh, of me. And Hatsumi Sensei was at this seminar. He's got his arm wrapped around me. And the look on my face, if I could go back and do it again, I would have a much more cool look on my face. Because the look on my face was like, <laughs> it's just this, just this freaking, it wasn't like a goofball look. It was, um, I, I was walking from one point to another. The dojo was full. Because like the word got out and like everybody that wasn't there for the seminar was suddenly there for Hatsumi Sensei, right? So we had like wall-to-wall -wall people and we're training and Hatsumi Sensei's teaching and um, even my teacher, right? Stephen Hayes is now in the group as a student, right? Uh, and I remember at one point, right, I was I just totally freaking confused as, as to what Hatsumi Sensei had done. So what do I do? I go find my teacher. <laughs> I'm like, I go over and I go, can you help me? And he looks at me and he goes, I'm just as confused as you are. I have no idea how we got from point A to point B. I'm trying to sort it out. I'm sorry. And like, that was my first awakening that, holy shit, my teacher 
is as far back probably as I feel like I am from him. He's that far away from his teacher, right? Because, you know, most people, they, they, can't, they can't fathom anything beyond their teacher's skill. So anyway, um, there was a little break, and I had met uh, uh, one of my friends from way back then. There were two guys that I had met, and we, we kind of uh, kept in touch and communicated so we would show up at the same seminars at the same time. Um, and one of the guys was from Ohio. Um, I think he was a process server. And one of the other guys was from um, uh, Hawaii. Right. And he was he was Hawaiian by uh, by lineage. And so uh, the other guy and I, um, we, we we were his favorite Howleys. Right. So if you know the term. Right. So um, anyway. Uh, so one of my friends had this like big old camera and stuff. We were on we were on uh, on a break and my friend had grabbed a camera because he wanted to get some pictures of uh, Shoshi Hayes's uh, dojo and all that. And we're walking by. All of a sudden, Hatsumisate reaches out and grabs me and looks at my friend and says, hey, puts his arm around me and says, take a picture of me and my new friend. So, one, that threw me off already. But the reason that I had this look on my face wasn't the surprise. It was almost a sick, um, I don't mean like sick, like, oh, it's, you know, starstruck and I'm going to throw up kind of thing. He put his arm around me and there was this strength and firmness to his hand, right? But I put my arm around him and it felt like I was trying to put my arm around a freaking fresh marshmallow, right? I mean, the guy had strength and all that, but it, it was very disconcerting. It was, it was odd, right? Um, and, just these different kind of elements put this look on my face. Um, I, to this day, if I look at that picture, I'm like, holy shit. I mean, it takes me back and I know why the face is there, but anybody else looking at it, I just look like some freaking goober. Um, the guy that had a picture taken with Hatsumisate. But I wasn't one of these guys that went, you know, hey, can I get a picture with Sensei? Nothing like that, right? He reached out and grabbed me and that, that was a, that was a, really weird experience, right? But anyway, so, uh, you know, trained with, with uh, Stephen Hayes for a while, uh, did a trip or two back and forth to Japan, um, actually had to, I got lost the first time in trying to find the dojo, got off the wrong train station, um, did this other training and stuff, and then, you know, made my way, kind of stayed in the back and just did my thing. In uh, the whole process with this, right, I ended up shifting primary teachers from Stephen Hayes to Bud Malmstrom. Um, part of it was a little bit more in the ability to relate, right? Not that I didn't get lots of lessons from, from Sensei Hayes. Um, I did. I got a lot of insight. He introduced me to, you know, the Mikio side of things and all that, where a lot of people are like, oh, that's not a part of it, except that that's what he got from Tanamura-san, uh, Hatsumi Sensei's cousin, who founded the Genbukan, because that was a part of the training, right? Uh, there were classes where they did uh, ESP stuff and, and whatever. I mean, the training was very, very different. Um, but anyway, so um, there was a little bit of a there was a little bit of disconnect, right, over the years. And I, I did the, my best to kind of work through it. 
um, being under uh, Stephen Hayes, but he had a very different build from me, right? I mean, he was much taller. Um, things were just leverage was different and all that. And um, at a certain point, there was some things that got in the way. There was a huge transition. Um, and a lot of us were left to find our own way. And I'm not going to go into that story, but um, I called up, you know, Shoshi Hayes or Shoshi Malmstrom because he and I had developed this friendship over the years. And uh, where Sensei Hayes was more of the diplomat when he was answering questions for people. Um, Shushi Malmstrom was not. <laughs> He's a former Marine and he didn't pull punches, literally, right? And uh, he was always the, it was always, there was always balance, right? He was always the guy with jokes, but he was also the guy that would flat out tell you, stop doing that dumb shit, right? Stop being an idiot, right? Those kind of things, right? It's very, very just, you know, cut and dry, so to speak, right? Um, but, when I, when I made the switch, I switched to him because there were a couple of things over the years, besides our connection, right? Um, there were a couple of things over the years that he had said that really rang for me, which was people who are bigger, taller, whatever, can afford. Not that they do, but they can afford to have sloppier tides to. The smaller you are, the shorter you are, right? Um, you, don't have that, you don't have that benefit, right? Um, James, you're how, you're like six four, six five. What are you? Six six four. Six, yeah, three. six four. Right. I'm five six and change. Right. So when I'm punching or kicking at you, you don't have to move as far. Your stuff doesn't have to be as dead on, right? To to clear it, to be at the right angle, whatever. Right. I mean, would you agree? Yes. Now you're working with some people that we have at the dojo now that you don't have that option, right? Right. Neutralized all because there for the longest time you were the tallest guy um in in Lilliput, right? So um you were you were Gulliver, right? And now there's between Stan and some of the other guys, um, that's all been neutralized for you, right? But what Shoshi Malmstrom always said was those of us that, you know, are this height, right? Um, short guys, we have no choice. So I'm back to no choice again, right? Our stuff has to be dead on. Our Taijutsu has to be better. We have to understand um, the principles and concepts better. And one of those was, you can call it cheating if you want. You can call it rearranging the odds in your favor if you want. But um, it's already not going to be a fair fight, right? Most people that are going to be attacking us are going to be bigger, right? And so that perspective, that indomitable spirit, that heart, right, and that, that, I don't know, for lack of a better word, right? That love from a teacher who, even if he was at his worst in, in tearing me down, it was always for my benefit. I always knew that. I always felt safe. Does that make sense? Right? Mm -hmm. So uh, when, I, when he became my primary teacher, the criteria was, Short of going to Japan and training with short teachers, right, um, who that I'm already connected with, right, um, and that I already respect and that I already know um, is there for me, right, um, can I get the most from, 
and all the other teachers, literally all the other teachers, whether it was Jack Hoban, who I had trained with, right? He was very matter of fact as well. Again, another former Marine, right? Uh, really good practitioner. Um, but he's also same height as Stephen Hayes, if not a little bit taller, right? So, you know, I gravitate towards Shoshi Malmstrom. Um, and some of the black belt ranks that I got from him, they hurt a lot. And I don't mean physically. I mean, like, they were video recorded. And then, let's say my, I think it was my third Don test, right? I take this. He brings in, we, we did it around a seminar that I had hosted. And some of my friends came in that were same rank or higher and all that. So I'm, I'm taking this test. And it was video recorded. So I think the test lasted maybe an hour and a half. And I was the only one testing, right? Hour and a half, close to two hours. And then um, because he was staying in town um, and you know, I put him up in a hotel and all that, but he, he didn't want to eat out all the time. He wasn't one of these like prima donna diva kind of things, right? Um, so my wife cooked dinner and, you know, whatever, right? So we go to my house. And um, so, so the test lasted an hour and a half to two hours. And then we popped the, uh, back then it was the VHS tapes, right? So we popped this tape in the, in the video record, the video player. And, uh, dinner got in the way, right? So half of it was before dinner and then half of it was after. But we spent, spent a good, better part of the, the evening, two and a half, three hours of him tearing the shit out of this recording, right? Asking me, what the hell is that? What do, what do you call, what do you call, well, I learned that. I don't, I know who you learned it from. How's it feel to be a third Don now and finally learning how to do something right? Right. Whatever. I mean, just, just hitting hard, right? The kind of things that make most people not want to train with somebody because they just, they just want to be told that they're right, you know? Um, and he's also the one that had, we used to call him Buddhisms instead of Buddhism. We used to call him Buddhisms because, um, he used to say that he, he's the one where I, I borrowed that phrase from. That if you screw this up, your family better look good in black, that kind of thing, right? So let's just say he was not um, the right flavor for most people, who, especially people that just wanted rank, wanted to be told that they're doing it right, uh, wanted correction, but you know, you know, don't don't push it too far, right? Don't make it hurt, kind of thing. Um, but we're training to be warriors, so. Um, but anyway, so I got those right, and of course. Um, I was training with Hatsumi Sensei uh, on a fairly regular basis. I, I went to Japan every uh, – I tried to go every year. Sometimes I might have missed a year or two. I remember missing two years one time uh, because my baby was being born, and the trip was planned right around the time that um, she was going to be coming into the world. So I did the dad thing and then didn't didn't go back for another two years, I think, something like that. But anyway um, – Going to Japan, um, somehow I just ended up being pulled into certain shihans, now dai shihan and or sokes, inner circles. Um, and I, without, I don't know, without ringing my own bell, I, I guess they saw something that made them do what they did. But anyway, um, so... I ended up having, besides Hatsumi Sensei, I ended up having three primary Daishihan that I trained with, but all because of different 
focuses. Now, Isuk Sensei wasn't one of those for most of the years because, and, and some, some really bad freaking, um, blood was happening between Japanese Daishihan and Hatsumi Sensei played off those things and, and whatever. But, uh, like some rumors, uh, were, were tossed around by some that he had quit the, the Bujinkan and all that. But the reality was, um, he was the regional fire chief for the Noda fire stations, all of them. Like he was a regional, uh, whatever you would call them, right? Commissioner, uh, fire commissioner, something like that, right? So if the fire alarm went off in any station within his command, he had to go, right? He was out. So he was, he was busy all the time. It wasn't until he reti- retired that everybody suddenly became, you know, knew about him again and stuff. Um, I mean, way back in the day, right, he taught and, and things like that. But as he got promoted, right, things kind of shifted. But in those earlier days, I, I tended to train more with um, certain teachers because of their focus, right? Um, Hatsumi Sensei, because of my level of understanding, of course, I went to all the classes and things like that. But I really saw Hatsumi Sensei as the example of what it was supposed to be or the example of what it was supposed to be like when I got where I was going. Does that make sense? Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I tried, I tried to learn, right. Um, but I had no delusions about, um, about, uh, you know, being, being anywhere close to what, I, you know, where I was going to understand even 70, 80% of what he was doing. Right. Um, and along the way, I mean, I collected whatever videos of Taikai's and other, other trainings that I couldn't make it to, um, that, that I could get my hands on. So, you know, I, I watched, I took notes, uh, all that. A lot of my old notes, I look back at them now and go, holy shit, you had no idea what you were looking at. Right. <laughs> um, but there were three Japanese teachers that I gravitated toward. Um, and it was because of the key principles within the art, right? And each of these teachers tended to focus more on one of these than the other ones. Of course, I was getting all the Taijutsu. I was getting, you know, everything from everybody. But their their approach, and Hatsumi Sensei taught this way back. One of the first lessons I got from him, and he wrote about this in articles and, and all that, was that we needed to train with different teachers because each one had their own call it flavor, call it perspective or whatever, right. Where they came at the art from a certain um, angle kind of thing, right. You got everything, but kind of leaned in this way. And since the, the primary principles, right. Are Nagare flow, Ritsuo rhythm, timing, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and, uh, and kotsu essence, right? Of course, balance breaking and all that kind of stuff is in there. That's all part of, um, like flow and timing and, and whatnot, right? Um, that's what I did. What I, what I did was I, I gravitated these different ones because they, they hit on different areas with Hatsumi Sensei kind of being in the middle, right? So, uh, I went to a lot of, uh, Seno Sensei's classes. And of course, he just passed away a couple of years ago. Um, what year or two? I don't know. COVID threw me off. Anyway, um, he was just huge on precision, right? 
hitting your mark, which was, you know, Nagare, Kaisabaki, right? Hitting these, these angles so that you were in the best possible place. And when you hit the right angle, your technique just got really, really, really strong. You didn't have to put extra muscle, anything like that, right? The angle was, was, was dead on and the technique would just tighten all by itself, right? And of course, this is one of those things that get mistranslated by people that are, are, you know, uh, all about the soft training, which is something that's missed that they introduced in like 98 at, at the Princeton Taikai, right? Um, because you're just trying to get people to stop going out of their fucking way to hurt people, right? Because they needed things to be powerful. And they, but, but the reality was that they didn't understand what they were, anything about the art, right? Um, they saw him doing things and it dropped people like freaking lead, you know, or lead filled bags or whatever whatever analogy you want to use. Um, but they didn't understand how to get there, right? So, um, again, you know, a lot of people buy into this and then and then run off with it, and they, didn't, they don't get that what was being conveyed with the so-called soft training was a Japanese attempt at using English to convey a, you don't need to try to hurt your partner, a correctly applied technique from the right angle, timing, all that. You know this, right? Um, it hurts all by itself. You don't have to try to make it hurt. Yes, you know this, yeah. right? Okay. Um, if you have to try to make it hurt, then what you're doing is wrong. Not, the, not that what you're doing doesn't work as a self-defense technique. It's not, it's not tied to, right? It's not what we're, what we're talking about. Anyway, so... So uh, Seno Sensei was my example for precision, right? And then, you know, later on, uh, that became Isuka Sensei. And let me tell you, in that dojo, not only does it fucking hurt, excuse my language again, now, you know what, never mind, right? Not only does it hurt, but they laugh at you. They don't care that it hurts. And even Isuka Sensei's wife calls him a demon, right? And she trains, Right. Of course, he doesn't do the same things with her that he does with everybody else, right? But she she calls him a demon, right? Um, and he's not abusive or anything like that. It's not that kind of thing, right? There's this there's always the smile, there's always the light heart, there's always the teaching because he enjoys the teaching, helping students and all that. But man, the precision is just freaking dead on, right? Um, and then I trained with uh, uh, Shiraisi Sensei, uh, who you know, has never been, he, he's, he was a very popular teacher, but he, he's, wasn't, he was like, um, if you count uh, Sano Sensei, Nagato Sensei, Manaka, uh, some of these guys, Isuka Sensei, as first generation students of Hatsumi Sensei, right? They were all like teenagers, right? Early 20s at best when they were training with him and he was still working as a doctor, right? Um Shrey Sensei, uh, I think he told me he was like third generation, right? So there were other teachers ahead of him between him and Hatsumi Sensei. But his understanding of balance and uh, ukemi, right, made him a popular uke for Hatsumi Sensei. But his focus was on the balance side of things, breaking balance, maintaining balance, yours, his, all that, right? Tiniest of movements, right? Um, so that caused me to gravitate over there because that's his whole other realm, 
yes, I'm doing kaijutsu. Yes, I'm doing the same stuff. But right from this whole other kind of area, right? And that was a challenge in and of itself, right? Everything from walking to uh, throwing to micro movements to sensing things um, to uh, ukemi and rolling and break falls and just all that. Just, wow. Anyway, so that gave me a whole other perspective on the art, right? It's kind of like looking at this thing with a bunch of microscopes out and around the outside, right? Uh, that's how I kind of describe our Mikio when we're looking at the Noble Eightfold Path and stuff like that, right? You have this thing that you're looking at, but you get these other microscopes looking at it because you can't see the whole thing, right, at any one time. So you come in from, from certain perspectives, right? So Senesensei slash Jisuke Sensei um, uh, was on the precision side. Senesensei more on these are techniques, these are approaches, here's how you lock things up, that kind of thing, right? It's more about the body art. Isuksensei, it's precision, but you had to know the kata as a foundation. No variation, whatever. And then he would walk you through the three transmission levels, right, between historical kata to practical street application, right, um, in a very painful but loving way, right? So I had that on that side, right? Shrei-sensei on the on – the, uh, balance side right so we're still playing in the in the flow and and timing ritsudo kind of realms right structure precision those kind of things right but hatsumi sensei is like all the way over in the kotsu realm right this whole essence right just it's just freedom right freedom of movement uh all that kind of stuff right so uh my way in on that was working with um Nagato. Now, I also got a bunch of precision from Manaka Shihan, but it's very, very difficult to train with him on a regular basis because he, like I, was uh, military, Japanese military, right? So um, he would do things when he was off on leave or whatever, but it wasn't until he retired and then founded the Jinikon that, you know, he was available on a regular basis. But um, I trained with Nagato Sensei. Because Nagato Sensei is a very, he's very tall for Japanese, of course, so is Isuke Sensei. But Nagato, I mean, he, as a teenager, he was a all Japan judo champion, right? So he's always been beefier, right? Um, had to have, um, he could never find uh, Japanese armor uh, during the years when we trained with armor. Could never find armor to fit him because he was too damn tall and too damn athletic, right? So he had to, had stuff custom made. Um, I think he was a he was a high level executive with Kikoman, which is actually based in Noda as well, right? So um, hopefully that gave him enough money for all this stuff. But anyway, um, his stuff has always been more like Hatsumi Sensei's, right? Um, more moving for Shizen, more of that Kotsu essence kind of thing, right? And always, always, always from a street self-defense, if you screw this up, you will die kind of perspective. So very much like the like, like the Bud Malmstrom kind of perspective, right? Um, and I mean, I remember one time I took a group of people to Japan and uh, we're just exhausted the last day. It's the day before we're going to be leaving. 
and I'm working with one of my black belts, uh, Pete Beck, and uh, we're doing this sword stuff in the Gatsu Sensei's class. And Pete executes the technique well, and he takes me down, then he backs out to, to come on. <laughs> the Gatsu Sensei comes over, and he says, no, 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 you finish him, right? So we do. I do this technique, and I'm the uke, and uh, the Gatsu Sensei takes me down with the sword. He just throws me with the sword. I end up on the ground. He drops his sword like he's just tired and lazy. Um, it's a, a boken, right? And he just walks like he's like Paul Bunyan dragging a freaking tree behind himself, right? With this sword, and it runs from the crease, uh, the koi, right? So the crease where your leg plugs into your torso, that all the way up my torso across my neck, right? But just where he started, and he walks up my body, and he looks back at Pete Beck, and he goes, you cut his fucking balls off, right? <laughs> Pete goes, okay, I'll cut his balls off, right? And that just became, but that woke us up a little bit more, but we, God, we were just exhausted with all the training that we did, right? But I've, I've always gravitated to his classes because um, it's, and, and again, it was one of those, almost kind of broke my rules, with training with him. Um, but it was almost full circle as well, because what I got from him, I also got from Hayes with the, you know, real world kind of stuff. But I, I never had an angling problem with him because his stuff was all she's in and appropriate for size and whatever. So it was very, very, very different, but I had these criteria, I had these things that I wanted to work on. Right. And I found the people who, that was that was their thing, right? They were best at that thing, right? And again, maybe this is me, because I'm not. Why would I why would I train with the person who's the twentieth best at that thing, or train with somebody just cause, right? Um, or somebody that I can befriend with quickly, who will let me skate on some standards and whatever. Um, when with just a little bit more effort, right, I can get what it is that I need. I mean, hell, James, what's your drive time to, to our dojo? <clears throat> About an hour. About an hour? Yes. Okay. Um, so the question is, how many people would travel an hour to get to class? Uh, Philip, right? Um, he was a, he was actually one of my youth students a long time ago, right? He's all grown up now, right? <laughs> um, he, I think his travel time is an hour 20, hour and 30. He's in state college. So how far is that? About uh, that? a half hour for me. Yeah. Yeah. Barring no shitty traffic or anything like that. Right. Mm -hmm. Same thing with your hour drive time. Barring no problems. Right. Winter time. It's a little bit more when you were coming in, um, based on those kind of things, right? It's a little right. bit more, right? Same thing with going back. So you come in, you train for what, two hours? Usually about two hours, two classes on Tuesday. Give or take? Yeah. Two, two and a half hours, something like that. And then you've got a two-hour round-trip drive time, right? Uh, my training with, with uh, Stephen Hayes, I think that was the closest I've ever lived to a teacher in this art. And I chose to drive. So it's nine hours one way, right? So 18 hours round trip for a weekend seminar 
training time, not counting dinner afterwards or, you know, rest time or sleeping or whatever. It's probably about 18 hours. So um, not many people are willing to do that because it's too damn difficult. They don't want to have to put up with the argument from the wife. They don't want to have to, uh, you know, whatever. They don't want to have to, right? So can I find somebody closer? Can I find somebody easier? Not that you can't, and I'm not saying not to train with whoever because something's better than nothing, right? Um, but what's your criteria, right? What is it that you're looking to get out of it, right? Are you looking for somebody because just like relationships, just like churches, just like whatever, right? Um, is the criteria easiest, cheapest, whatever? Is the criteria like some people with relationships? Somebody's better than nobody at all. Um, and I'm going to stick with that person no matter what, right? Um, is it, you know, th that ha obviously has it in mind, right? But that's, that's the suggestions, right? Um, one of the things that I remind students with on a regular basis, and I know James is probably tired of hearing this, um, and that is that I, and this is something that I don't think many people give much thought to, whether there's a student and certainly not instructors, right? But I'm going to remind you again, okay? And when I use the word life, um, this is both on a self-defense side and a personal development success side because I got all this stuff from my teachers, right? None of the teachers that I've trained with have been martial arts only. They've all taught from the, the life philosophy, all that side of the scrolls as well. Every single one of them, right? And anybody that hasn't heard that, uh, even from, you know, Nagato or Monaco, whatever, they weren't listening, right? Um, just like the, the art, the lessons, the kata and whatnot are answers and solutions to problems and challenges and, and things like that, right? Um, your teacher, right? The, the person that you choose to learn from until you can do this stuff for yourself, until you understand the lessons and you can apply them to the degree that you think that you want to be able to do them. You're literally putting your life, your safety, and not just your understanding, but in some cases at certain levels, with, with certain lessons, your sanity in the hands of this other person. And you're doing that until there comes a time when either you quit or you can do it for yourself. That's, that's why during the instructor training program that James just went through, um, I'm always telling people that being an instructor is not a badge of honor. It's not the ego trip that a lot of people take it on. It's a heavy responsibility because you got to be careful who you let in as a student, right? Unless you're just needy, right? Somebody's better than nobody at all. And I got to be the guy. So I'm looking for disciples, right? That's not me, right? Um, that you got to be careful who you give lessons to, right? To make sure that they not only that they that you're not giving something to somebody that they're going to go and abuse and hurt other people with, but if I give the wrong lesson to the wrong person at the wrong time and they don't understand it and they end up tripping over themselves and, 
becoming disheartened and all that, then they're going to quit. Right. Um, so what's one of the what's one of the uh, the uh, leadership traits that we, we talked about or the slogans that we talked about during class uh, in that in that program? James, you remember? <clears throat> Which one? The I have to give them what they need so they stick around oh, or I have to yeah. give them what they want. So they stay around long enough to get what they need. Right. But there's also other ones where I'm, I have to be willing to delay certain parts of the lesson till later because they need to get this part. Right. Um, there's way too many people out there that need their students to get everything today. I remember when I was that way. Right. What an asshole. Right. I, I, I drove students away that now aren't benefiting from anything because they didn't go to some other need to sue martial artist, right? They probably made the assumption that this doesn't work or worse than that, they're never going to get it. So they just quit. Right. That was, I, I, I feel really bad about those kind of things because I did them the greatest disservice because I confused them or overwhelmed them. Right. Um, if I teach, at a level that's below what a student needs. They can come to the understanding that they already have it and now growth stops. And that's another channel for quitting, right? Um, it's, it's, it's a heavy burden, right? Um, I don't think a lot of people get that, right? They need to be seen as sensei. They need to be seen as whatever. They, they, they set out on their path to be Hatsumi sensei, even though he told us for years, you'll never be me, right? You can be the, best that you can be, but you're never going to be me. And yet they fantasized about being the grandmaster of their own lineage or the grandmaster of the Budokan or whatever. Right. So anyway, um, so I, I think buried in what I was looking for and some of these other things, there's, there's some cautionary tales in there. Right. Um, if, and I've had students, I've had students tell me this, that, you know, they, they chose our school, they had, they had a choice of all these other schools, but they called us. And um, here's another statistic in the business world of martial arts. Well, actually, I think it's just in the world in general. Only one in 300 people will shop around. And those who do shop around, that think they're shopping around, have already made the decision within the first one or two things they were looking at. They look at these other things to make sure that their first gut feeling was right. Right. And so if you're somebody that shops around, truly shops around, you're in a minority. Right. One in 300. Okay. So uh, there's this other thing. Right. When people come to me, I better have my shit together with what they're looking for. But also, and James learned this going through the instructor training program, um, we disqualify people as much as we qualify them. Right. Because if they're looking for something else. And I'm here to really help people get what it is that they're looking for. Why would we not have a list of other schools in the area that are the best at what they do in that realm? So if somebody's looking for competition, martial arts, uh, MMA, whatever, not just a list of schools, right? A list of schools that are the best at what they do. So if somebody's looking for that, here's their number. If we're not it, right? I'm not here to, to, uh, <laughs> One of my friend, one of my friends, uh, he was a missionary. He said, you know, um, he would go in these places and he he would befriend people and whatnot, and you know the lessons would just kind of naturally flow. But he said a lot of people um, that were missionaries that uh, he had a hard time working with were the ones that went down and tried to like 
<laughs> his analogy was nailing lifts onto the feet of um, of the natives, right? Um, but they weren't wearing shoes. So, you know, normally you put lifts on shoes to make somebody taller, but um, they were barefoot and they were going down there trying to hammer lifts onto the non-shoes of people. Uh, but that's what people end up doing. They end up they end up coming across like freaking used car salesmen, right? Um, and that's one of the things I've learned, I think, from my Japanese teachers because of the Japanese approach. You have to understand that when they're making suggestions, that's the Japanese way of teaching. But they're not really suggesting because Japanese students hear a suggestion and they go, uh, that that means do that because the Japanese language is, is kind of soft. But our Japanese ninjutsu teachers um, taught like they teach every other Japanese student. But they also understand the way Western students take suggestions. So if you take it, great. If you don't, they're not responsible for your training because they're not. Unless they pulled you in and you're their student, they're not they're not going to look at you and go, look, do this shit. Okay, they're just, you know, they're okay with you sucking. As a matter of fact, I I was told by one of them one time that Hatsumi uh this it pissed a whole lot of people off when they found out, and it will continue to piss people off. Right? At one point in training, Hatsumi Sente told the Japanese shihan. With regards to all the Westerners coming for training, teach whatever you want. Those who are going to get it will get it, and those who are not will not, because they're not here for the they're not here to get it. They're here to get rank. They're here to get praise. They're here to get whatever. Right? Teach whatever you want. Okay. Um, now that pisses off a lot of people because, uh, and I, I know somebody who dropped out of the art a long, long time ago that I started training with, because when he found out, like I did, right? That's me since they said, look, I'll lie to you, right? Because I need for you to develop a discerning mind so that you, you, you can, you can discern bullshit from real stuff and, and all that, right? He quit because he could not, he could not have a teacher that did that kind of stuff, right? I'm paying for you to teach me exactly what I need to know. So basically what he's saying is I'm paying you to give me the answers so I don't have to figure it out for myself. Except that's not part of the art. Part of the art is knowing what you're looking at so you can figure it out. So you can develop that MacGyver mindset. So you can take, what's that thing we were talking about? Lemons and lemonade, right? Whatever you have, can you produce results and a solution Regardless of how much or how little you have, can you take what you have and get what you need? Whether it's survival from a dangerous situation, right? Um, more money to, to do the things you want to do in life, more comfort, better relationships or whatever, instead of sitting around and pissing and moaning and hoping that somebody comes along and gives you what you need or what you want or whatever. And if they don't, you'll be the angry little child, you know, throwing a fucking temper tantrum, right? That's, that's, not, that's not the art on either side, right? The Nimpo side or the Mikyo side. That's, that's just not, that's not, <laughs> that's not it, right? It's about maturity. It's about uh, responsibility, right? It's about uh, 
you know, it, it, well, I'll just stop with maturity, right? It's about understanding that, look, I can, I can wish in one hand and shit in the other, and I've got the same value unless I recognize that what's in this hand is actually fertilizer. This, with no action behind it, is worthless, right? So unless I have that, then nothing will ever be enough because I'm still waiting for a handout. I'm still waiting for somebody else to do most of the work, right? Warriorship, especially being at the level of a ninja warrior, right? This is about taking practically nothing and making anything from it, right? That reminds me of a, of a saying that we have when I was a military policeman. Uh, we had this, this, this poster hanging up in uh, the uh, military police station when I was stationed in South Korea. I was just a buck private, right? There was this thing hanging there and like it was, it was such a punch in the face and it was funny at the same time, but it was so easy to commit to memory and I've held it with me for all these years. And when I got involved with Nizitsu, it was like, holy shit. It was the same thing, right? I mean, maybe I was born to be a ninja. I don't know, but uh, it was either that or a vampire. Uh, I don't know, right? Invisibility on both sides, right? Anyway, um, the, the, the slogan was, um, we, the unwilling, who work for the unknowing, have been doing so much for so long with so little that we're now capable of doing anything with nothing at all. And, of course, it was, you know, humorous and all that. And I don't believe that my teachers were unknowing or, or anything like that, right? And I certainly wasn't unwilling. But it was the gist of getting to a point where it doesn't matter what I have. Because I will figure it out. I will get what I need. I will find what I need. I will make what I need. And I will get the thing that I'm going for. The guys on my team, James knows this, right? We will figure it out. The number one thing, I surround myself with people with the same mentality. Nobody gets to be on my team that pisses, whines, and moans and tells me how things or why things can't be done. Either figure it out or I will find someone who will... Who will figure it out? Who will help me figure it out? Yes? See him in the little yeah. picture down there? He's not. Yes? Okay? I don't have time for that shit. Okay? I, I don't have time for that mentality. Right? So, um, but I was also taught that by my teachers. Because remember back in the beginning of this episode, I talked about the, the, um, the baggage that I came with. Remember? I, I, my choice was to fly to... Dayton, Ohio, right? Halfway around the damn world. I did it from Germany. I did it from uh, South Korea. Uh, it was a drive, right? I could have taken planes or whatever, but in the amount of time it took, and this was, this was my calculation, right? Same thing with driving to Ohio. The amount of time, based on where I lived, it took me to drive to an airport, park, wait for the flight, take the flight, get off the plane, get my luggage, drive to the seminar location, it, it was the same as driving, but it was cheaper. So what the hell? And I could stop and get out and do leg stretches and whatever along the way, stop and eat if I needed to, whatever, or drive straight through. I wasn't at the whim of other people, right? So that's why I chose one thing over another. The, the, the amount of time was the same, if not more, on the public transportation thing than me just hopping in a damn car. Same thing with, with from uh, Dayton, Ohio, or from, uh, from North Carolina. 
right? The same thing. Matter of fact, Bud Malmstrom used to drive from Atlanta to Ohio because of the same reason, right? The, the logistics was just stupid to spend that much extra money over a tank of gas to, to have no, no time, uh, benefit, right? Now I'm not going to drive to Japan, but, um, or, or to California or whatever, right? So there's, there's that return on investment kind of thing. There's that thinking and discernment, um, ability, right? Anyway, I don't know where, where, where the rest of this could go, but, um, I really do believe that, that if you're going to get the most out of things, that, um, and if you're serious, right? One, you have to have a vision. What is it that you're looking to get out of this art? If it's just some cool self-defense moves, buy a video, right? Enroll in an online course, right? Okay. If you're looking to have a close connection with a teacher that really does have what you're looking for, and you're not going to have to keep trading up and all that kind of stuff, right? Then figure it out, right? Um, be willing to suck it up and meet the challenges head on because the challenges you're going to face to get the training are a part of the training because you're developing the mindset, you're developing the heart, you're developing all these things. That's It's not about training. It goes beyond training. It goes beyond ninjutsu. Well, nothing goes beyond ninjutsu. It's not just about taijutsu. It's not just about going to the dojo. It's about every other damn challenge you could ever face and every other problem that's going to get in the way of any goal that you're going to be going after. And the bigger the goals, the bigger the challenges. The bigger the goals, the more naysayers, the more energy, the more effort, the more commitment, the more whatever you're going to need to have. If you're looking for that whole nin thing, right, of never give up, never quit, right, no matter what, then you're going to have to, you have to do, I, I think it was, I don't know which of the master teachers uh, gave this as an analogy, but it was like, the, it's like the making of a Japanese sword. It's like the making of a katana. Our training, this whole process is like the making of a katana. The metal is heated white hot. It's getting, it gets pounded on, beat the shit out of, right? To shape it and form it and all that, right? And then it gets dunked into this freaking ice cold water bath, right? And, right, that's a whole different type of stress that's put on it, right? And then to polish it, right, files, different types of coarse material are graded across it and all that to get it not only shaped, but then to shine as a mirror uh, surface, right? Even things that seem like they have no grit to them, all polishes, right, are abrasive, right? The entire, the entire um, process is nothing but stress, force, abra uh, what do you call them, abrasive, uh, the whole process. And what you end up with is something that is highly functional, right? Very powerful, but also a work of art at the same time. I can't remember, again, I can't remember which one of my teachers uh, used that analogy, but it's, it's the same process, right? So, and, and again, like one of my business mentors always says, it's okay if you pick something 
that's not what I did or that Hatsumi said they did. Hatsumi said they freaking took trains overnight uh, across Honshu Island to, to train with uh, Takamatsu. Stephen Hayes sold everything he freaking owned, went through a divorce to go to Japan to struggle through just to live to get this training. Right? I mean, why should we be any different? Takamasa say walked away from home to go to China, right? Didn't know the language to struggle through to test this stuff, right? To get more more knowledge and more lessons. It's the nature of the beast, right? But have a vision, know what it is that you're looking for, and then and and find the teachers that can get you to that level, so they can that can. That can teach you what you need to know and be willing to face the challenges that are necessary to train with those people. Right? And, and I get it. If you need to take baby steps and, and but recognize them for what they are. Right? Don't have this mentality that some people have that, you know, I could shop at this high end place where the boots that I'm going to buy are three hundred dollars. Um, but you know what? I could just go to Walmart and pay 20 and it's the same thing. No, it isn't. Cause those 200, $300 pair of boots are going to last 10, 20 times longer than the $20 pair of boots. It's not the same. No matter what people want to convince themselves of, it's not the same. But without a vision, without goals, then you're just going to settle for whatever's going to make you happy and stroke ego, right? As long as you feel like you're getting what you needed, as long as you can sound like it, right? But how's that any different than the, than the so-called teacher that you picked, right? So anyway, again, it's not about me. It's not about any particular teacher, right? It's about knowing what you want, to what degree you want it, and be willing to go get it. Right? That's all I got. James, you have anything else to throw on top of that fire? You drive an hour to class. There's there's Taekwondo schools near where you live. <laughs> there is. Been there, done that. I've <laughs> been there, done that. Bought the t-shirt too, I bet. All right. Um, I only have time for a, a, a question or comment or two. Because um, I've got some other things I need to do here. Uh, life is busy. So I don't mean to cut this off uh, all that quickly, but I'm going to do it anyway. Let me just check. I think I have a message that came in that reminded me that I'm probably 10 minutes late for something. Nope. Okay. Anyway. All right. Uh, no, that was a message from a friend who just lost a family member. Um, anyway. So, uh, anything? Questions? Comments? No, there was. Sensei McLaurin had one question, but it came in early on and you hit it. It was, if you don't mind me asking, what changed in your training to make you seek out different teachers? But, uh, my level of training, situations, uh, there was a falling out with one that was not on my end. I was basically told, we're doing this thing. It's going to cost you this much money for stuff you already have. Uh, and you either do it my way or um, he thought he was putting me out to pasture that I'd have to start from zero, except that I had been developing a network of um, uh, friends and teachers and stuff like that 
the entire time, which is what he taught us to do, right? So you're going to teach me how to be a ninja, and then you're going to get pissed off because I'm acting like a ninja and making choices like one. Um, perhaps you should have taught me something different. But, hey, I'm just the asshole. So, <laughs> so they were different. At different times, they were different, right? Um, the more I got involved with Japan, the more my rank went up, um, the more, you know, uh, even uh, Shoshi Malmstrom took more of a back seat. And actually, he started backing out of teaching as well, right? He started pulling back from that kind of stuff. And um, uh, because his, his uh, not only his goals changed, but uh, let's just say that all of his black belts didn't operate like I did or that a core group of us did. Right. They went to class and expected the teacher to spoon feed them. And when he showed up and said, what are you working on? And they all looked at him like they had crickets and, you know, or there were crickets going on or was a deer in a headlight look. And he thought that at at Black Belt, these people should all know what the hell they were working on, what they were good at, what they needed work on, what they didn't, you know, what they what they didn't know at all on their syllabus and stuff. So if I ask you what you need to work on, you should be able to fucking throw something out there. And not be just expecting me to show up and just teach whatever. But I can understand his, uh, his, uh, uh, his, uh, level of disgruntlement or something, right? Because I run into that as well. Most of my students expect that as well. I'm just not there yet where I'm going to go, you know what? Screw it. You guys train. I'm going home. That'd be funny though, wouldn't it? Uh, probably not. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it not only did it change, but but my level um, got got to a point where I wasn't just lo- I wasn't looking at technique. I mean, it's just another technique. It's just another technique. It's just another technique. Right. Principles and concepts became more important. Situational scenarios and, and higher level stuff. The psychology of, you know, uh, of, of things, right? Um, things that you can't explain well, but you can feel and experience them. Those kind of things. That, those, that level of training all, all changed. So I needed teachers that could introduce me to that stuff, walk me through it, or toss me into the frickin' deep end, um, because that's what I needed to figure it out. So, like I said, in groups, and it doesn't, this, this counts for teachers, this counts for everything, right? Um, I'm not trying, I, I don't join groups so I can be the top guy in the room. I join groups because I'm probably lower than the lowest guy in the room because I need to learn from these people who are already higher than me, right? I need to feel out of my element so that I can grow into that level. And then when I'm pretty decent at that level, I'm going to find another group. But that's what we do within the dojo, right? We, we have these different programs we're at, are actually groups within groups because the standards and the focus is different, right? So you start out here dabbling. You move here to be more intent and purposeful to get to a certain point. You get into this program that is going to pound you so that you need to, you know, become a certain uh, type of person. And then there's this other level that we haven't refired up yet um, that hasn't been around since before COVID that is all here and here that get that shit straight or no matter how good your self-defense and martial arts stuff is, 
right? People will just screw you in the head and heart. Um, and there's no Ichimonji or whatever that's going to fix it, right? Well, there is. It's just not this way, right? Same stuff. Okay, all right. Uh, if there's nothing else, I am gonna actually going to wrap this up. So I will talk to everybody again next time. I'm actually a couple minutes over. i got to go. Um, I will talk to everybody again next Monday. Don't forget this Wednesday coming up, when, uh, Warriors Whiteboard Wednesday, uh, 3 o'clock Eastern. Uh, YouTube and all these other places that we're on and spring camp is coming up really, really soon. Um, May 13th, 14th and 15th. Uh, I have a, uh, an email went out today. If you're on my email list, that went out with the outline of topics, uh, the actual agenda and time and what day I'm teaching different things on, uh, hasn't been, uh, ironed out yet, but, um, take a look at that. If you haven't already opened the email and if you didn't get it, then you're probably not on my email list, right? So, uh, I'll try to get that posted onto Facebook and maybe YouTube or whatever. I'll do something to get it out in the next day or so so that people have it just in case you've been on the proverbial ninja fence. Uh, but otherwise, um, hopefully uh, some folks will make it in. Uh, we've got a virtual option and a live option. And if not, no big deal. For some people, physical is what matters the most. And um, the head and the heart part of the art, the other two thirds of the art outside of physical um, not that important. So, and I get it, right? I'm not here to pound, not here to nail lifts onto the native's feet. <laughs> and with that said, James, thank you for your help again. I'll talk to everybody again next time. Be safe, train hard. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.